This podcast is brought to you by Square. Your restaurant runs best when everything and everyone works together. Square's integrated point of sale system offers one central place to keep cash flowing, reach more diners, and operate smarter. Square has the trusted restaurant tools and solutions to serve you, your staff, and your customers now and in the future, no matter how your business evolves. The future needs your restaurant. Get there with Square. Learn more at square.com slash audiology. Super Wild Card Weekend and all this stuff with HBCUs and head coaches and more here on Unfair Sports, where we take a pensive approach to the sports conversation. Thank y'all for tuning in wherever podcasts are downloaded and listened to. Please, while you're there, hit that rate review and give us five stars. You don't think we deserve it? Give us five anyway and gifted. So on today's episode of Unfair Sports, we're going to dive right into the NFL's Super Wild Card Weekend and jump into each individual game from the Seahawks and 49ers. Chargers and Jaguars and how the Chargers went full charger. We'll talk a little bit about the Ravens and the Bengals and how, yeah, they're going to have to pay Lamar after this game. The Dolphins and Bills and the Tua fans are wild people. Giants and Vikings and Danny Dimes might have earned himself an extension. Wrap it up with the Cowboys and the Buccaneers as Tom Brady, Brady Goat, might be no more. And then we'll end the show with talking about Ed Reed and all the craziness around HBCUs. Hit us up on the Unfair Fan Line, 430-901-1906. Love to hear your opinions on the show. Give us your strongest opinions there because uh, one of these days you will end up on the show. One day when we grow. So hit us up, 430-901-1906. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you all for pulling up, man. It's been a bit. I know I talked about the show and there's a show update. We'll do a show update first. And we'll dive into this wild card weekend. And so, you know, the, the show's kind of taking a little bit of backseat with a lot of the creative stuff that I've been doing as of late. Been really heavy on the YouTube channel, doing a lot of college football stuff there as that's really seen a lot of traction. And so to grow the following, I need to do something that's going to really grow it. And that's really been the big thing. But I do not want to neglect the show fully. So I'm going to make it once a week going forward. I had some other plans, but then I've got pulled into another major project that could really... Um, pay dividends long term. So I'm gonna do that bigger project, but I'm gonna bring this show up every Wednesday. We'll have a show. My goal is to record this bad boy by Tuesday evening and have it up Wednesday morning for you to listen to me at least once a week. And I'll, you know, we'll go into NBA season once NFL is done. Then in the summertime, we'll chill, talk a little college football in preparation for the next season. And we'll talk college football, NFL in long form. But on this feed, you'll also get my sooner or later podcast where I talk all things sooner football, Oklahoma Sooners um, and college football in general general as i'll be bringing guests and stuff on there over the weekends that will drop on monday so i'll still have two shows but the but it will most likely be a monday wednesday set where the unfair sports where i'm talking everything is on wednesdays and then mondays will be my college football deal so that's the plan i pray nothing screws this up to where i can't do this but as of right now it looks like it's where we're going to be successful so with that being said thank y'all for the love and support y'all been around for a while i've been getting hidden up by friends and family talking about this and so with that being said let's dive right into what 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 nfl super wild card weekend and so 
technically this is just wild card weekend i've heard somebody else say this before and it makes sense now but it's it, they call it super wild card weekend because we got i guess you could say an additional game so when they make the change to the playoffs they add the extra weekend nfl season they add an additional wild card to the playoffs um instead of having two teams on the bye weeks when you go into the divisionals you only got one so the number one seat's the only one that gets that bye week so it kind of adds some urgency to the season so it makes sense when you see teams at the end of the year really work hard to push for that number one seed because if you get the number one seed guess what you're the only one that gets a bye week and so you get to rest and hopefully get your team healthy in preparation for the playoffs if you're number two then you're playing and it sucks. And so with this year, it's really weird, too. You may have seen or heard a little bit about how the NFL is trying to figure out a neutral site game for the Chiefs and the and the Bills if they meet in the conference championship game. And you may be asking yourself, why in the hell would they do that if the Chiefs got the number one seed? Well, the Bills played one less game because of the thing that happened with DeMar uh, Hamlin, which, you know, thank goodness he is a lot better from that. And because of that, he they didn't finish that game. And so they didn't finish that game. The Bills played one less game. So the Chiefs are 14 and three. The Bills are 13 and three. And if the Bills had won that game, they would be the number one seed because they have the win over the Chiefs in the regular season. So they have the head to head. But since they did not play, they are technically a game behind or half a game behind and there's no way that you can give that give them that because the Chiefs have played and there was a chance the Bills could have lost to the Bengals and so because of all the speculation boom you're in the scenario where we are today so that's kind of a synopsis of why the Chiefs are playing and they're talking about a neutral site game for the Bills and the Bengals that's it cut and dry and I think the the consensus was is that if they did a neutral side game it would be in atlanta at mercedes-benz uh stadium so if they meet in the conference championship you'll get a neutral side game similar to a super bowl between the bills and the chiefs kind of what everybody wants anyway because we love to have games where it feels like it's a super bowl and it's going to be in a dome so it's going to be just high flying balls just flying everywhere so it'll be worth it honestly i would love to travel to that game it will be totally worth it so with that Let's talk about some of these games that happened this weekend. So I, I guess for the most part, I don't know if I could call these games good all weekend. I can say every single game was interesting in some capacity. They were all close except for the Buccaneers and Cowboys game as well as the uh, Seahawks and the 49ers. And so because of that, you know, every other game was actually pretty solid. Like you had the big comeback game in the Chargers. We'll talk about the Chargers charging. The Bengals and Ravens was a defensive slugfest, and that ended in a very wild ending. Um, and then the Bills and Dolphins itself was not what I had expected it to be, be truly honest. Going into Danny Dimes and then, you know, the Vikings, which the Vikings were frauds, and I told you that a long time ago. And then the Cowboys <clears throat> doing what they do. So let's jump into this 49ers and Seahawks games. And I'll say this. I saw, I forgot who mentioned this, and I've actually seen this written before as well. And I think this is a very true statement to say. If you're a Seahawks fan, you should be happy with this season. This was not what you expected. You traded Russell Wilson away, and you gave Geno Smith the opportunity to be a starting quarterback. And Geno Smith, as long as he's been in the league, it's not very common for a quarterback to be in the league as long as he's been which is what he's been here since 2013. So this is what goodness, eight years, Jesus Christ. He's 32 years old. Most quarterbacks don't get a chance to be in the 32 years old, go out there and play and actually play good. 
Like he looks like a starting quarterback. Like now he started to regress at the end of the season. And, and I saw that and noticeably in my fantasy points because I had DK Metcalf and it didn't seem like he can get him the ball. But overall, your boy Geno Smith had a solid season. And the Seahawks should not be sad about that because it seems like only one person realized that Russell Wilson was done and cooked, and that was Pete Carroll, hence why he traded him. And then Geno walked out there. Overall, like I said, had a solid season. Can't even complain about it. But they still lost the game, right? Um, looking at statistically for the season for the Seahawks, I do want to pull this up because I think this is kind of an interesting stat to look at with them. Um no, I don't want postseason. I want regular season. I mean, you still had DK Metcalf, who had a thousand yards receiving. You had Kenneth Walker the third, who did not even start at the beginning of the season, playing fifteen games, and he got a thousand yards rushing. And then Geno threw for forty two hundred yards and thirty touchdowns. What more could you ask for? But they, but the one thing they didn't ask for was running into the San Francisco 49ers. And this is kind of goes to this is going to be a a theme throughout all of this is I'm going to explain to y'all why coaching matters, the importance of coaching, because at the quarterback position, there are certain things that <clears throat> your quarterbacks are required to do, or the certain things that you would expect your quarterback to do. And when it comes to the NFL, I've mentioned this in a pod a while back, there is a shortage of actual starting quarterbacks in the league. There's a shortage. I don't think I'd say there's maybe 14. At the highest, 15 half the league has a starting quarterback. The rest do not. We have a very big shortage, and it's very hard to play the quarterback position in today's NFL. Defense is way more sophisticated and smarter. Defensive linemen are too fast. Linebackers are too fast. Cornerbacks are too fast. And no matter what you do, you can't keep your quarterbacks upright. Or they're not able to throw it in these small windows you have a very small select group of people so there are tiers There's about four tiers there you got your quarterbacks that can that are world beaters they can do everything they're your elites your patrick mahomes your now josh allen's your aaron Rodgers, who we've seen do this before and then you've got your quarterbacks who are starting quarterbacks but they're not gonna beat you by themselves but they will do enough not to lose a game you know what i'm saying so in your list with that used to be Russell Wilson, but he's no longer in that list. But Tom Brady will be considered someone in that list here. Dak Prescott's out there. Um, but then you go down that list. I mean, Joe Burrow. I think Joe Burrow will be considered in that list right now. I don't think he's a world beater by himself yet, but he is in that list of quarterbacks that can do enough to win you games on his arm and you're not too concerned about him losing your game now kyler murray's on that list or whatnot then you've got quarterbacks that require a coach in order for him to be any good whatsoever and that's i mean that's where you got certain quarterbacks falling nowadays like your matt stafford like i don't as much as people want to ride the stafford train i feel like he's a quarterback that requires a coach that will keep him from losing games like there's a reason why in that Super Bowl, he did not win an MVP. There's a reason why he wasn't trusted in a lot of those scenarios. And I'll, we'll, I'll digress on that, but that's another conversation for another day. And then you got those quarterbacks that they're in for quarterbacks, but they probably shouldn't be starting. And that's where we're at now. So the 49ers have this entire scenario. They lost Trey Lance to an injury. Then they lost Jimmy Garoppolo to, a, to that. And Jimmy Garoppolo is definitely in the tier of quarterbacks that requires a good coach to keep him alive. They got Brock Purdy out there. Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick in his last draft, quarterback from Iowa State. I like Brock Purdy a lot. I am a fan of Brock Purdy. And the fact that Brock Purdy went out here, went 18 for 30, 332 yards and three touchdowns, tells me something. 
Brock Purdy's an NFL quarterback. Now, is he a starting quarterback? I don't know. The question I have to ask myself when I see him play is how much of this is Brock Purdy and how much of this is Kyle Shanahan? And I ask that question because I've seen Dan Mullins throw for a lot of yards for him. I see C.J. Beathard throw for 300 yards in a Kyle Shanahan Shanahan system. And I've even seen this from Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo was the quarterback for them going to the Super Bowl. Y'all remember that, right? And he's also the one to help them lose it. So the point behind that is, is that Kyle Shanahan does wonders. He got Matt Ryan an MVP, and y'all saw what Matt Ryan looked like the last few years after Kyle Shanahan. That tells you something. He does a great job of making it easy for these quarterbacks to do their job. Players are butt naked open. He schemes beautifully. His run uh, run plays are so complex but so beautiful, he can get hundreds of yards on the ground with running backs no problem. But still got to have somebody to slain that thing. And the one thing I think Brock Purdy stands out with, and I think I heard like a few talking heads talk about this, especially I think Mina Combs mentioned this as well, appreciated this, is that, no, it wasn't Mina Combs. Actually, I think it was Bomani Jones that said this, is that Brock Purdy's not afraid to throw the ball. The something that Jimmy Garoppolo is. Like Brock Purdy will let that thing slain. He'll slain that thing. He'll let it fly without fear. And that's something that Kyle Shanahan needs in order to be successful with his offense long-term. Because at a certain point, teams are going to recognize what your deficiencies are, and they're going to zero in on it. That's the thing that made Bill Belichick so great, is that Bill Belichick will find whatever your best piece is, and he will eliminate it in the game and make you beat him with everything else. Go watch the games that, that Belichick and them have won in Super Bowls and stuff. They've taken out the best player on the opposite team every time. The one time they couldn't do it was against Philadelphia because technically Nick Foles was not the best player for the Eagles. And, and honestly, Eli Manning was not the best player for those Giants. But they ended up winning because of those players. And so even trying to learn the lesson of that, Belichick still focuses on that. And that was what made them so successful with a quarterback like Tom Brady, who he didn't have to worry about on the offensive side. He did the defensive stuff. In this scenario, you got Kyle Shanahan with a quarterback like Brock Purdy, and every time he's had a quarterback out there and that has been healthy, he's had to try to figure out ways to win games without, in, in spite of his quarterback. Like Jimmy Garoppolo is a NFL backup quarterback. He's definitely a number two, and the reason why I say he's a number two is because they offered him for cheap to everybody in the NFL, and guess what everybody said? Nah, we good. We've seen his movies. We know how it's all going to play out with him long-term. Nobody has faith in him being able to be the starting quarterback. And so in this game, Brock Purdy showed us that, uh, yeah, this is the type of quarterback that will work in a Kyle Shanahan system. Now the question is going to be is what is he going to look like next year? Because that's the one thing that defensive coordinators do very well in the NFL is that they recognize tendencies and they start exploiting that shit. And when they start exploiting your tendencies, guess what happens? The quarterbacks fall apart. But that's when your echelon quarterbacks show up. You're Patrick Mahomes, you're Aaron Rodgers. As much as we want to talk clown the man, the dude can play. And most of his losses usually ain't on him. And except for now in his older age, uh, Brady was like this as well. And Josh Allen has a tendency, but they can go out there and beat. Joe Burrow showed us that he can do that, even getting sacked nine or 10 times in the game. He can still go out there and compete. And so that's the difference makers of having an, an elite upper echelon quarterback compared to everybody else is that, Irregardless of the way things are folding out, they can make it happen. And so in this one, coaching won this game. Now, I'll give Brock Purdy some of the props because he did not have any fear. He was letting some good passes fly, but he was 18 for 30. He did average 11 yards a pass, so he was 
making sure his guys got it. Got it. And the yak was pretty nice for these. Well, Debo Samuel's eight. And as good as the Pete Carroll defenses traditionally are, they had no answer for him. Hell, the Niners had no answer for DK Metcalf, who had 10 catches for 136. So overall in that game, I felt like what made them fall apart in this is just that the Seahawks just did not have enough pieces to win this game. And I don't know if Geno is the answer. I mean, once the 49ers went up, they started turning the ball over. And that was that, and that's basically it. Borderline cancel Christmas at that point. So that's the 49ers and the Seahawks solid game. But I would really want to jump right into this Bengals and Jaguars game. Now, mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. <clears throat> I don't know how many of y'all watch this game. And I know a lot of y'all gonna probably lie and say y'all watch this game and it's okay. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, let you slide on that because once that score was 27 to nothing, I stopped watching it. And so we got to celebrate for the Jacksonville Jaguar fans in the stadium because they're probably the only ones that continue to watch this game for the most part. Now, some of y'all did tune in late. I did. I tuned in when I saw the score was, let me go look. The score at the time that I tuned into this game was, it was 30 to 20. I went back in there. I was like, wait a minute. Jaguars and I made a little ground. Okay, this might be a little interesting. Then I look, I'm like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. It's 30 to 28. What is this? And then you had, you had Nick Boza out there. Uh, I'm sorry, Joey Boza, the other Boza lunatic, out there losing his mind because the rest pissed him off, get a penalty, which made it easier for them to go for two instead of kicking a field goal. And then they go out there and kick a field goal to win the game. That one point matters just because this dude lost his mind. And I get understand. I can understand why he would lose his mind. The call was a little egregious while at the same time, you can't lose your mind like a little 12-year-old or a five-year-old throwing a temper tantrum on the football field and think these refs ain't going to be going after you. And then he said something to the ref, and, of course, everybody made memes and jokes about it, and this ref looked at him like, excuse me, you said, what? No, nope, throw this flag. I don't know what he said. I don't think I want to know what he said because I already don't have the greatest opinion of him. Uh, he's an amazing athlete, but, uh, yeah, questionable person. I He probably said some very egregious stuff to that referee. Don't do that. Don't do that, kids. Don't ever do that. And so this game literally was the epitome of what the Chargers are. They did everything they normally do. They look good, and then they fall apart, and they lose the game at the end. And it's funny that Staley still has his job as he's fired his offensive coordinator as well as his passing game coordinator. And a lot of people were looking at this like, so wait, that's all y'all going to do? Because at this point, Staley should have probably lost this game. I feel bad for Justin Herbert. Now, I know that all of the 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 two anon the, the two fans over there in Miami were just excited, and Emmanuel Acho was just regular. He's a social media quarterback. No, Justin Herbert's a really good quarterback. The problem is, is that his defense just just was just just booty too. 
they just fell apart at the end of the game. And the play calling was probably super questionable as well, but I will take Justin Herbert over to any day of the week. Problem is, I would like Justin Herbert to not be in uh, Los Angeles with the Chargers. If I could get him out of the Chargers, Justin Herbert would be a different quarterback. He'd be really good. He'd probably be, be battling with the Josh Allens as the best big quarterback in the league, period. He has everything you're looking for in tangibles. He has the leadership. He has the size. He has the strength. He has all of that. The only problem is he plays for the Chargers. And it's funny because Bo said this on his pod earlier, and he's, <laughs> which made me laugh on Monday, that the only reason why Staley still got his job is the Chargers ain't got no fans. So they ain't got nobody to answer to. Now, if you're a Chargers fan, please feel free to hit me up, 430-901-1906. I would love to know your thoughts on that because I'm going to be honest. I don't think he's wrong. What about that makes me think that y'all would lose y'all mind on that? Because it don't seem like y'all would lose y'all mind. Yeah, yeah, wait, I'm like, correction. Y'all lost y'all mind, but it was only like three y'all lost y'all mind. So what is the, what is the front office going to do? They ain't, got, they ain't got no pressure. They ain't got no pressure with y'all. Y'all got good teams, though. I'm telling you, Justin Herbert's it. Justin Herbert is the future. The problem is, is Staley needs to be gone. Brandon Staley got to go. And I hate calling for jobs for coaches, but, man, that's egregious that you was up 27 to nothing against the Jacksonville freaking Jaguars. Who's a team that traditionally does this? This was the first game where a team that normally does this stuff didn't do it. Didn't do it. And so Trevor Lawrence goes out there, throws his four interceptions as a young guy, and he makes it up by throwing four touchdowns. Favorite part is, guess what Trevor Lawrence did after he won this game? That man went to Waffle House in Jacksonville. Had that himself some waffles. I love it. I hope he didn't go in there and ask for that TikTok sandwich that everybody else is asking for because they probably would have thrown his ass out. But at the same time, they might have done it for him because, you know, Duval County got a dub that was really nice and probably one of the better parts of the weekend. That was one of the better games for a lot of people. For those that actually stuck around to watch it, like I said, most of us didn't watch it besides the first uh, quarter and a half, and then we watched it in the fourth quarter. I mean, I'm just going to be I'm keeping a buck. Why am I going to lie? But the Chargers did a very piss poor job of keeping the ball in their hands. They did a poor job of maintaining it. I mean, after they're up, at this number, they had five, one, two, three. They had four possessions in the second half. And Jacksonville had four possessions as well. Four. Like, that's it. They had four. Four possessions. That is not something. The first half, they both went through. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 possessions. And they had eight in the second half. Neither team was really stopping the other. Punt after seven plays, 37 uh, yards. Jacksonville, touchdown, seven-minute possession. Field goal on two minutes possession for the Chargers. Touchdown for the, for the Jaguars, two minutes. They missed a field goal after a six-minute possession. Touchdown, three-minute possession for the Jags. Two-minute possession, they punted, and they lost the game on a three-minute possession and a field goal. That's it. Chargers couldn't do nothing to stop. They scored on all four of their possessions. They couldn't do anything to stop them in the second half. That's bad. That's really bad. And that missed field goal, of course, hurt them really badly. So that's your Jags going to the next round, beating the Chargers, who the Chargers did the exact same thing they always do is do beat the Chargers.
Next up, we're looking at the Bengals and the Ravens. Now, this was game. This game was a little fascinating to me because, of course, Lamar Jackson is injured. He's got that knee issue, and his teammates went to bat for him and was talking about these Marlon Humphreys that said that dude was limping around the facilities. No, he could not play in that game. And everybody's like, oh, you got to strap it up, put a brace on it, and play. It's the playoffs. You shouldn't be trying to worry about and protect yourself for your money. You should be there for your team. His teammates knew this. His teammates are basically like, nah, that dude can't play. We was going to lose worse if he did play. What are we doing here? What are we doing here, fans? Like, do y'all really think that this dude should have went out there and played? Do y'all not remember RG3 situation when he was with Washington? He had a torn ACL, LCL, and something else meniscus that was flipped upside down. This dude went out there and his knee dislocated mid-play. He popped it into place, fumbled the ball. He even tweeted a picture of it and said, nah, man, Lamar, you did the right choice. Because Lamar came out and had to defend himself, which I think is still stupid. But he told y'all, he's like, man, look, the problem is my leg is um, it's unstable. It's unstable and I cannot play. That's the problem. 100%. Nothing to do with, I not that I didn't want to be out there with my boys. I wanted to be there. My knee was unstable, and I could not play. We should be good with that. Knee was swollen, dudes limping, whatever. But anyway, in this game, the Ravens defense actually showed up, and so did the Bengals. They battled it out. I mean, it was 10-9 to 9 at the half, and we were basically tied up through the fourth quarter. It was 17-17. It was a solid game. Like, it was a defensive battle. They were slowing each other down. Possessions weren't for super long. They were playing some good football. And I was wondering if, let me correction, they were, all the possessions were long because it was just a drive, drive, push, push, push. But I was surprised to see that last possession where Jack were basically – it, at the end of the in the in the fourth quarter when Huntley went up for that at the beginning of the fourth and that basically sealed the deal and what was fascinating about that is is that they were two yards away from the end zone and this man decided he wanted to try to jump over the top and extend his arms and they were going to hold him up like he was a ballerina or a cheerleader and hold him over the top and help him go through. And there was no way you was going to push him through that Bengals defense if you had not noticed how that Bengals defense has been playing all game. I'm just saying. The Ravens was not pushing that defense around at all. It was a battle. It was a AFC North battle. It looked like it. It looked like old school Steelers, Bengals, Ravens, even when they were, you know, not ridiculous Browns. It looked like trench work battles. So for me, I'm trying to understand what logical sense was it for you to try to dive over the top in that situation. I would have handed it to a running back to do that or faked it with a bootleg and ran it in myself. That's something that you probably should have done, and I blame Harbaugh on that one. I know a lot of people were thinking about having Harbaugh fired, but your team is 10-7 and seven this year. Your team has a lot of weekend winning records every year with Harbaugh. The biggest problem that Harbaugh has is that um, he probably needs to get rid of Greg Roman. You get rid of Roman, the OC, he's just not 
he's not allowing Lamar to throw the ball enough, and that's probably a reason to let him go. But at the same time, man, that's not a reason to get rid of Harbaugh. I think Harbaugh's still a good coach. But fumble recovery, big man gets a touchdown. Hubbard was gone. He was getting it. And it's funny watching him run because he looked like he was winning it. Then on the sideline, of course, he got his oxygen. I was proud of him. I was pretty happy to see that. So pretty funny. We laugh at the big man, but I love a good big man touchdown. Shout out to the Bengals for moving it on. You know, our boy Joey out here doing what he do best, making us happy. 23 for 32, 209 in the touchdown. He only got sacked four times, which is shocking, but he did his part. He did what he could. Like, yards-wise, nope. The Ravens were dominant in this game. I mean, overall, they had, what's this, 364 yards in comparison. Let's look at the team stats. Let's just make it easy on myself. 364 to 234. That touchdown sealed the deal. That was it. And then the Ravens and then the Bengals defense put the cuffs on them and won that game at the end. Period. And so we'll see what they look like going into next week. But, man, hey, man, I'd be nervous about these Bengals again. They went to the Super Bowl last year. It looked like they got a chance to go back again. They can go. They can be the spoiler. I would not be surprised if they did it. So shocking stuff. Uh, and the only thing that, that's not shocking about it is that Lamar didn't play. If Lamar would have played and he was healthy, this, this would have been a win for the Ravens. I, I think the Ravens could have pulled this off because he adds that heavy dynamic. Hell, Tyler Huntley ran it all the way down to the two-yard line before he fumbled it. He dipped. He's not Lamar. And, that, and, that, and it's funny because even as athletic as Tyler Huntley is and him able to do that run, you can tell the difference between him and um, Lamar Jackson. You can't even fool yourself with that. You're like, oh, yeah, Lamar's a different breed. That's what you get. So, good job, Bengals. Good job. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. Then you got the Dolphins and the Bills. You got the Tua game that Tua didn't even play in. You've got Skyler uh, Thompson looking like a uh, backup quarterback or whatnot, 18 for 45 for 222 and a touchdown, two, two picks. He looked like a, a, a backup. But the good thing for the Dolphins is, is that their defense is really good. And I think that that's something that you can't underscore when you have certain quarterbacks. And this is where coaching is most important. I think McDaniels does a uh, Mike McDaniels does a fantastic job. Besides the way he handled all of Tua's concussions, Tua was having a solid year because of him at the head coach. Now, I'm not saying that Tua is only good because of the head coach. Because I think Tua was a contributor because he does have great accuracy and he's willing to throw the ball deep. 
Um, he's willing to do some things as well. But I think that with McDaniels at coach, it makes a big difference too. It's kind of like the Kyle Shanahan piece. I mean, McDaniels did come from the San Francisco tree and he looked like it. He looked, I mean, Skyler was at some points looked like a serviceable quarterback. And then he started looking like himself as a rookie. No shade to him. He's a rook, though. And at certain points, you're going to recognize rooks over everybody else. And the funny thing with this game was they the, 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 the Bills kind of struggled. The Bills struggled in this game. They couldn't get no blowout. They, they I, I thought it was going to be a blowout. But, hell, the only way for the for the, for the the um Buffalo to really get it was uh, that fumble touchdown. That game was not – what we thought it was going to be. I expected it to be a lot more, but it, it wasn't. I thought they were going to blow them out and they didn't. Right. Did you, I mean, I did, but this game was a lot. I mean, the Dolphins got the touchdown on there to get them the lead, but I thought that it was going to be more of a, you know, I thought it was going to be more of a battle and that, that, that Dolphins fumble touchdown. My bad. Let me switch that up. That kept them in the game. And that was a Josh Allen, you know, doing what Josh Allen does best, you know, doing too much. And then he fumbles it. You know, that was one of his issues as in his younger days. He's gotten better at it, though. I will give him mad props. He's gotten a lot better at it, which I appreciate. But at the same time, you can tell. Josh Allen, Josh Allen. But he was out there cooking. He was out there trying to cook, you know, besides the two interceptions and that fumble. He drove him down the field and won that game. And he threw a beautiful pass to basically win it. Why? Because that's what he does. Their defense isn't as good as I thought it was going to be, though, the uh, Bills. And I think that that's going to be a concern for them long-term going into the playoffs. Let's look at them next round. What does that defense do? That defense looked like it was not what we thought it would be. I expected a little bit more, but it's all right. Bills are moving on to the next round. Bills fans be excited because I am stoked to see what they do next week. So after the Bengals did what the Bengals and the Jaguars did what they normally wouldn't do, which is not fumble the bag at the end of it. And the Chargers did what they always do, which I thought makes it even funnier how the Chargers and Jaguars played each other. And one of them was going to give up that game. The Bengals didn't do it. And they went out there and won this game. Buffalo does what they does best. And then we have this Giants and Vikings game. And now I'm going to say this in the nicest way possible about the situation. Let me get a drink of water with this. Daniel Jones is not as good as y'all think he is. Period. Whatever you think he is, skill-wise, how good he is, he's not that good. Didn't say he was bad, though. I want you to hear me. I'm not saying he's bad, but whatever you think far as good is, he ain't that good. So taper your expectations. And I say that because the Giants just got them a new head coach, Brian Dayball. And you saw what Dayball did with Josh Allen in Buffalo. Look good, right? Help that man turn from those first two years looking abysmal to two fantastic, almost MVP caliber seasons. And he started using them right. He went over there to New York and did the same thing with Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones had 78 yards rushing and 300 yards passing in that game. He had more rushing yards than Saquon Barkley. He had more rushes than Saquon Barkley. Danny Dons can scoop. 
And guess what Dayball said? Hey, man, I'm going to use you kind of like I use Josh Allen, except for I'm not going to run QB power. I'm going to find a way for you to scramble and start scrambling for yards. I want you to take, I want you to take off when you, when you need to. I'm looking at his stats for the season. I don't want the splits. I want the stats. Look at the stats for Danny Dimes. This year he threw for 3,500 yards, career high. Only 15 touchdowns with five picks. That's not good. But he rushed for 708 yards. Like, no. He rushed for 708 yards and seven touchdowns this season. And the good thing is he only had two fumbles. He lost one of them. Danny Dimes is known for fumbling and giving up the ball. That man went out there and rushed for 700 yards, and he threw for 3,200 yards this season. He accounted for almost 4,000 yards by himself. Hey, man. Somebody play, pay, pay Dayball. Somebody pay him, like, a lot of money because he, in every way, shape, or form, earned every single dime he got at that position, and he showed us that that man is a real coach. Because Saquon went out there and rushed for 1,300 yards. His first time really being healthy, healthy. Second year, they rushed for 1,300 yards. Rookie year and this year. They're not wasting Saquon now. But I'm going to tell you this. Danny Dimes is not going to win you a Super Bowl. Better have a great defense to do it. And in this game against the Vikings, they did exactly what I expected them to do. They exposed our boy, not Kirk Cousins, but Kurt Cousins. And this Kurt Cousins shows up at the wrong times every year. Now, the Vikings were 13 and 4 this season, and nobody, they were 8 and 1 at home, and nobody were sold on them. Nobody. Everybody said, nope, they will lose. They're not going anywhere. They're not Super Bowl contenders. And all the fans for the Vikings, I feel so bad for them, but I always try to tell everybody, man, everybody knows it's a Vikings fan, man. Kirk Cousins is your quarterback. And Kirk Cousins did exactly as you would expect him to do to end the game. He turned into Kurt. And he did the one thing that annoys everybody of him. He went captain check down. This man threw a two-yard pass when they needed, what, eight yards to get the first down? And they asked him at the end of the game, hey, why did you throw that short pass in the flat instead of throwing it to um, <clears throat> Justin Jefferson and giving him a chance on fourth down and eight? Fourth and eight, and you throw it to Hawkinson, and you get two yards, three yards. My bad, three yards. Let me, let me not discount his one extra yard. Why did you throw it down? And he said that he didn't like the, the way the safety was shading Jefferson. Who cares? You need eight yards. You threw a short to a tight end and thought he was going to make it past everybody? I like Hawkinson, and I thought it was a fantastic trade that y'all made. But you thought that what? My dude. My dude. That's why Kirk Cousins will never do anything in this, in this league. That's why Kirk Cousins will not win you a Super Bowl. And I've explained this on numerous occasions. People don't want to listen to me when I say this. Kirk Cousins is not worth the money he's made. Now, the problem is that Kirk Cousins is one of the 15 quarterbacks in this league that can be a quarterback and a starter. The issue you run into is that there is a shortage of quarterbacks. Because Kirk Cousins put up numbers, and he had some great games. Like, he didn't play bad in this game at all, like, by any means. 31 for 39, 273 yards. Yeah, every seven yards to pass, which is meh to me, but he had a good game. Overall, he overall he had a good game, and the defense did fail him while he failed them at the end by going for short passes when you on fourth and eight. If he would have threw a ball across the middle and it was incomplete, or he got sacked, 
I may not have gotten mad, but if he would have thrown it at least eight yards, I would I would not have been upset with him. But what did he do? He regressed back to the mean. He regressed back to who he is. Kurt Cousins. And he threw it for a three-yard gain when you needed eight. Remember that. Remember me telling you that. He's got Dalvin Cook at running back. He got Thielen, Justin Jefferson, and honestly, K.J. Osborne, Alexander Madison is pretty solid as well. That's who he has. He can throw the ball to. And somehow, either the coach didn't scheme it right, which is, could be it. New coach. They went 13-4 and four with him, 13-3 with him. Or, or, or hear me out. Kirk Cousins just makes really poor decisions when he's under pressure. And I think that's why he has a really poor record against teams with winning records and in prime time. Because this is who he is. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. All right, I did this game last, not because it was the last game, but because as you, if you're, if you're watching the video version of this, you see I have my Tampa Bay Super Bowl shirt on because I need to hide the pain. My Buccaneers lost the game that they should not have lost. I'm lying. They should have lost this game. This game was not, this game was not in any way, shape, or form capable for them to win this. We can't win this game because our quarterback is Tom Brady and we had him throw the ball 66 times. Period. Now, there's rumors out there that Byron Leftwich is getting fired. That would be stupid by the Buccaneers. Like, why would you fire him? Because his quarterback was really bad. Old. <clears throat> Old. They keep saying in Pewter Report that he's expected to fire him. Now, remember, he was there with Tom Brady when he won the Super Bowl. So he it's not that he regressed just at his ability to coach. I'll say this, though. I did listen to NFL Live and Mina Kimes, and they made some really good points around. Left, which has a, tenden- has a tendency, and it's obvious. He doesn't like to run the ball on the first down, and it it's obvious. So they're hoping that he mixes it up to make defenses be honest. But they also lost a whole bunch of people on the line. Like Ryan Jensen, the offensive lineman, who tore his MCL, I think ACL, and something else, somehow came back and played in this game. I don't know how Jensen would play this game, but he did. So, cool beans. I love to see it. But the problem you run into this is the offensive line still has been beaten up all year. And the run game has been boo-boo. Like, Leonard Fournette has not lived up to the Leonard Fournette contract. Rashad White has literally taken his job. And they ran the ball 12 times for 52 yards. Uncle Lenny was not that good running this season. He ran 600 yards, played 16 games, after three yards of carry. He was bad. Shaw White came in, took his job. He came in, played in 17 games, rushed for 481 yards. He only started with like two or three of them. 
3.7 yards carry. The Buccaneers were atrocious running the ball this year. Like, awful in the run game. And because they were so awful, teams knew what to do. They knew how to stop them. And I totally get that he didn't that Leftwich didn't want to run the ball on first, but sometimes you got to run the ball on first so you can run a play action. Something. And then you got Tom Brady out here being captain check down the entire game. And I get it. Michael Parsons is in your face. Why why wasn't there either A, some scheming on our part, on the Buccaneers' part, or B, why wasn't there something with Brady making some adjustments, knowing what where Michael Parsons is coming from? Like you would think that a guy who is 40 years old and is infamous for being just really good at what he does, that he would make the adjustments necessary to to be prepared for this defense. Like, I don't put all of this on left wish because the thing is is that you know that 45-year-old Tom Brady has some autonomy with this offense. You know that left wish says, hey, the way it's looking, you should probably just go with this. And, and Tom's probably like, mm, I'm going to switch it up. Okay, switch it up at the line. But it didn't look like he could do that. He looked like the old man in the club. He did not look like he belonged out there. He looked terrible. He threw the ball 66 freaking times. 35 for 66 in this game. That's 53% completion. And I'm going to tell you this. I like the Cowboys defense. They ain't that good. The problem with Diggs is, is that he's ready to pick you off. But he's also a feast or famine guy. Like he lives or dies by the interception. You can get, he gives up the most yards because he's only going to pick it or he's going to give up yards. And when you got receivers like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, you go for that. I would love to have Evans go up against Trayvon Diggs. They didn't. And so even with the the catches that these had, I mean, 11 targets, you mean at 10 catches, seven catches, six catches, 74, 74, 85 yards. Nobody had a hundred yards catching in this game. And it just looked bad. They looked, they just looked bad. And so the firing of Leftwich is kind of the scapegoat type piece because the bad part for Todd Bowles is getting this job is that you got the job with the, with the 45 year old quarterback who won't go away. Now Tom is gone. This is he's not coming back to Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay's done. Defensively, the Bucs will be better next year. Uh, they'll probably be a lot healthier. But now they got to find a quarterback. And I don't know who the hell that is. I mean, Leonard Fournette's going to be there next year. Their line's still going to be there. They'll still have a lot of those pieces and components. The question is going to be who's going to throw the rock for the Buccaneers, and I don't know. And yes, as I'm talking through this and talking about my Buccaneers, I'm not getting much props to the to the Dallas Cowboys. I can't do that. My boy Tim listened to this. If you listened to this and heard me say some good stuff about the Cowboys, he would lose his lose his mind. Because he knows that he's got to attack me now because I'm talking bad about his Cowboys. But at the same time, Dak Prescott's game of his career. He had a career playoff game, 25-33-305 touchdowns. He shut up Stephen A. Smith, and I love that part. And to be honest, I do closetly root for Dak Prescott. I think Dak should have been paid, and he showed that he should have been paid by the way he played against a really good Tampa Bay defense. Because at the beginning of the game, they both struggled. Nobody could get the ball in. And then, of course, the Cowboys kicker, for some weird, odd reason, did not know how to kick a freaking field goal. I mean, an extra point. He missed four straight. Made the fifth one, though, but he missed four straight. Like, How do you miss four straight, bro? Brimar, I don't know if you got your job anymore. But I'll tell you this, which is the funny part, the Vegas line 
was uh, two and a half, and the Cowboys, of course, flew over that. But you know what the over-under was? 45 and a half. How? Vegas, how? What was the final score of this game, 31-14? What was the point total? 45. 45 and a half. So that half point screwed somebody on the over. But the fact that they hit that number on the dot after missing four extra points. For real, Vegas. For real. On the Monday night game. You out here fixing the Monday night game, bro? How y'all do that? I don't know. We was talking about this. My boy Tim was talking about that. I, I, you know, I, I don't want to know. How? How do you do that? But guess what? But that second gander at um <sighs> future for the Cowboys. Tony Pollard had a really good game. Um, y'all ain't gonna hear this, but I liked how Zeke played. Even though he's thirteen carries, twenty seven yards, he didn't do that much. I like how he played. He played physical. He looked a little bit more physical than he normally was, especially because that Buccaneers defense. That Buccaneers defense was eating. And then Tony Parlow started getting his yards at the end of the game when the Buccaneers basically fell apart. But Dak was cooking. C.D. Lamb, I mean, uh, Coach 30, of course, cooked my Buccaneers and pointed out, you know, how C.D. Lamb sitting there just wide open a few times. Dalton Schultz, Dak's favorite target, eight. T.Y. Hilton was targeted a lot. Hey, man, this was a good game for the Cowboys. Something that you won. And going into next week when we go into these divisionals, you have to ask yourself, can the Cowboys get over these 49ers? Because the good thing for the Cowboys is they're going against Brock Purdy. And Dak is the oldest quarterback left in the playoffs, which I thought was a very fascinating stat. It's nothing but young quarterbacks left. You got Brock Purdy, who's Mr. Irrelevant. You still got Josh Allen, Joe Burrow. You got Daniel Jones, Jalen Hurts, along with Patrick Mahomes and Trevor Lawrence. It's all the young guard. The old guard is out. Now Dak and Mahomes are the old guys in the club. At this point, they're the old men playing in these playoff games. And so with them playing the way that they're playing, I mean, Dak is what, 27 years old? I'm sorry, he's 29 years old. So he is the old man out there. And Mahomes is what? He's got to be, what, 27 at this point? Or is he 28? He's 27. He'll be 28 this September. You can't beat that. You can't beat that. You cannot beat that. The NFL is in good hands with what great what quarterbacks they have currently. And I think Trevor Lawrence is going to be special. I try to tell people that too. I like what Trevor Lawrence is. And Dak is now going to be that old guy. So Dak literally has, he has about two more years. At most three. Once he hits 32, that's usually when that decline really hits for quarterbacks. It's like their, you know, their hand-eye coordination or their response time just isn't as fast. The question you have to ask yourself is can the Cowboys get past these 49ers? I don't know, but I think it's gonna be a fun game. All right, let's wrap this up, put a bow on it, and I want to talk about this Ed Reed thing. So Ed Reed pulled a similar Deion Sanders thing and he's you know coaching at Bethune Cookman and he decided to go on social media and make a post and video on live before he's even signed his contract and complained that the school hadn't been cleaned up he had to go around picking up trash his office hadn't been cleaned up 
and he felt like he needed to air all of this out and talk about he needs to help break and fix the broke mentality of the HBCUs and the people running them. This is the same sad story that everybody does when it comes to HBCUs. And I, and I like to give the friendly reminder. And Bomani Jones does a better job of this, of course. The dude's elite when it comes to talking about this stuff. Dominique Foxworth as well. And a few others that have been to HBCUs. They do a fantastic job of, of, of articulating what how silly this is. But let me, let me put a little context along with this on that. Is Ed Reed wrong that there are some institutional issues when it comes to HBCUs? No. Dion was right as well. There are some. But that's with all schools. There's some stuff. There's mass corruption BS. But the one thing that neither one of those two decide to point out is just how underfunded these schools are and how ignored they were as institutions of education. Now, remember this. HBCUs, and I told this to my buddy of mine, HBCUs are institutions of education. They're not here to be power football programs that's not why they were created now they have football programs because people like football but the whole purpose of them having football programs is not for them to be dominant or sports programs is not for them to be dominant at those and be these great juggernauts now it'd be great to win a whole bunch of games and win you know the swag and all this stuff blah 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 but it requires a lot of funding in order to get to those points and the one thing that hbcus do not have is funding and we talk about this, and Bo talked about this on CNN one time, and I tried to explain this to a few other people, is that there is absolutely no path for an HBCU to be a power program like in Oklahoma and Alabama or Georgia. There's zero path to it. Why? It, it requires boosters and funding. The one thing that those schools have that HBCUs do not have are billionaire alum that will fund, fund all of this stuff. Think about it. There's what? eight black billionaires in America, you know, you probably know at least half of them. If I name their names, there's way more billionaires at these PWIs that none of y'all even knew existed. I talk about this all the time with the owners in the NFL. I love, I know the owners in the NFL only because that fascinates me because they got all this money and they're buying these teams and they're doing all this stuff. But until St. Louis sued Stan Kroenke, when he moved that team to uh, LA, you had no clue who he was. Neither did you even know that when he was, he owned teams in Denver, his son owns the Denver Nuggets and the Avalanche. And guess what else they own? His wife's a Walton. They're part of the Walton family. Walmart, baby. They got bread. He owns a construction company that I believe was building Walmarts. A real estate company. They got bread. They've got money that's longer than money. I mean, I think he's worth over 20 something billion. So think about that. Think about people like him that are just in the five billy, as Mark Cuban calls them, the small billies and some big billies at all of these other institutions of education. Think about that. That's how Harvard has these huge endowments and stuff is that these billionaires come from these those institutions and they donate there. They donated for the education purposes. But Harvard is not a big powerhouse football program. Neither is Yale. But they got more money than everybody else because they're there. That money is there for research purposes. It's, it's, it's for all the stuff that they do outside of athletics. And HBCUs are not built to do that either. So that's my point. They're institutions of education. And since majority black people go to those schools, we ain't got a whole bunch of generational wealth like that. And the ones that do go there, they do give back, but they can't give back at the at the magnitude of a Texas. Texas got like six or seven billionaire oil guys that be putting money in there. So the Texas A&M. So they got bread. 
And so Ed Reed coming out here and airing all this dirty laundry is not some revelation that people who have attended HBCUs didn't know about. This is not uncommon knowledge. I didn't go to HBCU, but I knew this. I also knew people that went to HBCUs. And the funny thing about it is everybody that's on Ed Reed's side don't probably know anybody that went to an HBCU. The funny thing is, is that Eddie George, coach over there at Tennessee State, did his research. And he pointed out some of the bigger problems. Tennessee State is still waiting on their land grant. They're still waiting on their money from the state for their land grant for them being there in Tennessee. They ain't got their money. A lot of the money that they looking for ain't there. They ain't, get, they ain't getting it. They not getting the funding they supposed to. HBCUs are probably underfunded. I think the, the, the statistic they were underfunded by $12 billion, money that's supposed to be came to them that never showed up. But then, of course, you still got corruption and all this stuff that exists. Yeah, it's all real. But at the same time, if these schools were funded properly. You get better uh, resources and stuff. And guess what? You probably wouldn't be dealing with as much corruption because you probably hire better people. I'm just keeping it a buck. And so Ed Reed and Deion Sanders going out there with the stuff that going out there with their, you know, you know, saying that they're coming to save these HBCUs. HBCUs don't need to be saved. They're here for it to be institutions of higher education and they've served their purpose. Most of your black doctors and lawyers out there, they went to HBCUs. They did. A lot of your PhDs, your researchers, your teachers and stuff, a lot of them went through the HBCUs because those teachers cared about those kids' education and they helped them get through it. That's what HBCUs are here for. They're not here for the other BS. They are here specifically to educate. And don't think that it's only black people. So all my white listeners, this is not just for black folks. This is white. I know some white people that graduated from HBCUs. And they said that, you know what? I learned a lot. I got a great education. I learned a lot about the, about the world, about the culture. I learned about it. Open their eyes. And go look at those baseball teams and stuff out there for these HBCUs. A lot of them filled with white dudes. Some of the softball, white girls. So they're getting educations from these schools and they also recognize how underfunded they are, how underappreciated they are. These institutions were created because black people could not get educated at, at your, your predominantly white institutions or PWIs. They couldn't. And they've just served the same purpose is to try to bridge that gap. The problem is, is that as public institutions, a lot of them are not fun like they're supposed to. And as we get back to the Bethune Cookman situation, you gotta remember they also been dealing with like with these hurricanes and stuff. They've had like storms that have come through and destroyed parts of campus. When you don't have the resources to fix it, the government relief to help you with these public institutions, but that they're there for. What do you expect them to do? That's the problem. That's the whole issue with Ed Reed And you knew it was a problem because he came out and apologized right afterwards. Why are you going on these social media? That's the problem. He didn't attend the HBCU, neither did Dion. So guess what? They don't understand. Jerry Rice goes and does that job. If he goes to Mississippi Valley State, I promise you he wouldn't go out there and, and air out the dirty laundry. But here's the problem. And this is the one thing that's bothered, that bothered me about the Deion Sanders situation. Even though I talk about Coach Prime on my college, on my college football uh, YouTube channel. And I talk about you know all that stuff. There's the problem that I had. Only got one real problem with what they did. And Bo said this great on his podcast. Go listen to the right time with Bomani Jones. He said it in a fantastic manner. He basically said they didn't look at these HBCUs at what they can do for them. They looked at what the HBCUs can do for them, not what 
Ed can do for Bethune-Cookman, but what Bethune-Cookman can do for Ed Reed. And I say that specifically because the only reason why Deion Sanders and Ed Reed went to HBCU to coach, it was not to save or help HBCUs. It was because nobody else would give them a head coaching job with very little experience. That's it. Say what you want. Refute me all you want to. You can try, but I promise you this. Ain't no way you're going to be successful because I ain't lying. That's exactly why they're there. They didn't go to save shit. They went there because they wanted a head coaching job. Dion even said he didn't want to be a coordinator. Only time he was a coordinator was he was coordinating his son. He was basically coaching his son. He's kind of head coach at the time, you want to be honest. Why didn't Miami give Ed Reed a chance? He could have went to the U. I mean, he was working there for a while. And I heard Miami had some institutional issues as well, but you didn't hear him airing out their dirty laundry because they got a whole bunch of billionaires back in them. And so they can kind of cover stuff up and make whatever they need to do work. But Ed didn't get a head coaching job or an assistant coaching job really there like he should have because why? They weren't going to give him a chance. HBCUs are giving them these opportunities because why not? Why not? As I look through Ed Reed's coaching career, he spent some time at the Bills, and he left after a year. And since then, he was administrator at Miami, chief of staff and senior football advisor. And you didn't see him do any type of actual coaching, his one-year coaching experience as a defensive back coach. So somebody explain to me why. Oh, why? He ain't there. The new coach dismissed him after Rex Ryan was gone. Sean McDermott moved on from him, and he's now at Bethune-Cookman. Ed Reed, he's getting the opportunity that he wants. Didn't say he deserved him, saying he, he wanted. And that's the one thing that I need everybody. Look at what Eddie George is doing. He understands. He asks questions. He's learning. He's not airing things out. He's asked. He pointed out that there's some issues with corruption too, but he also pointed out how there's issues with the way things are taken care of outside of the school. So, that being said, Ari, just go do your job, bro. Just go be a coach. Go coach. Get your experience. Get your two years in. If you do a whole bunch of winning, somebody else will give you a job. You'll probably get a G5 job. I don't think you'll end up at a Power 5 job. But there you go. Be happy that they're letting you get that chance. You're rich already anyway. You're only going down because you ain't got no other choice. Just be happy. And we'll be happy for you. Thanks all for pulling up here on Unfair Sports. Got y'all a long episode. Like I said, we'll be coming back on Wednesdays for Unfair. My Sooner or Later podcast will populate on uh, Mondays. Most likely I plan on recording those on Sunday. While you're here, thank you for tuning in. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You think we deserve it? Just go ahead and give us five anyway and gift it. I've got a lot of other projects coming down the line. Um, I'm definitely going to keep y'all abreast of what's going to go down. So just keep tuning in to the channel. You'll see this on the feed on a regular basis. So outside of that, we'll chop it up in about a week. Peace. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. 
But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.